we're back here in Firefighter Kingdom. Uh, I'm your host, Robert Sanchez, my co-host, uh, Vince Trujillo. Uh, we have a, a great gentleman um, today on our on our podcast. We got the president of uh, Wisconsin, or professional uh, firefighters of Wisconsin. Uh, welcome, President Mitchell. How you doing, brother? Good, man. I'm, uh, I'm doing well. It's uh, snowing outside here right now, but uh, it's cold. It's probably not, not like New Mexico. But I'm doing good, man. Feeling good. Feeling fired up, ready to go. Well, good, man. You're looking good. And uh, so, you know, today we're, we're, we're lucky and fortunate to have uh, President Mitchell. You know, we're going to talk a little about all his accomplishments he's accomplished uh, throughout his career. Um, just being a, a strong uh, International Association of Firefighters leader and a strong voice for Wisconsin and the union movement. Um, just, uh, you know, I'm happy to have you on, brother. I just, you, you just, you're an interesting uh, uh, individual, and I'm happy to hear what you have to say, man. I think uh, our viewers and our listeners out there would would be intrigued with, uh, with you know, everything you've accomplished um, through the international, the union, and also through your fire department there in Madison, Wisconsin. So, I mean, let's just get started, man. So, you know, you're a, you're a, you're a lieutenant, correct, in uh, Madison, Wisconsin there? Yeah, I'm a lieutenant uh, right downtown in our capital city, uh, Wisconsin, which is the city of Madison. I've uh, been on a job for uh, close to 24 years now. And, uh, yeah, I'm a lieutenant. Got hired at the young age of 19, so I was fortunate. Nice, man. Nice. So, Shuman, tell me a little bit about it. I mean, were you uh, were you one of those firefighters or just growing up, you know, playing with your Tonka trucks, your firefighter trucks, and wanted to be a firefighter? Or how did you get into the fire service? I mean, it's it's not even yourself. You have a couple of brothers uh, that are also in the fire service, right? Yeah. My older brother's down in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. My younger brother's up in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, so you say the fire service runs in my bloodline, right? And uh, a lot of people ask, was my dad a firefighter? The answer is no. Um, but uh, my older brother was the first one to start the tradition, if you will. And um, I loved it, man. I'll tell you, as a kid, um, a lot of people don't know this about me, but I actually I went to culinary school for like a year. I thought I wanted to be a chef and own a restaurant. And... Uh, after about two days in culinary school, I actually went to the Culinary Institute of Chicago. And when I went, after about two or three days, I was like, this sucks. <laughs> my, my parents were like, well, you're staying for the whole year because you got a discount. If you pay for a whole year, it was a two-year program. Right. Um, so they made me stay the whole year. My older brother had just um, got hired at the fire department. And he was telling me how great the job was. And I've always thought about it. So while going to culinary, while going to culinary school in the morning, I took my EMT and EMS class and firefighter one and two at night, at night class. And I uh, woke up, went to put my white jacket on, checkered pants, go to culinary school, went to College of DuPage, and I was living in Illinois at the time, obviously going to downtown Chicago. And I, uh, I went to get my EMT license, and I started applying everywhere in the Chicagoland area. And uh, I got hired in Madison. They, they advertise a one and only time in the Chicago Sun-Times, big newspaper out in Chicago. I saw the ad in the back. Well, I was also applying all over the Chicagoland area, and I got hired. And uh, there was only one, one of the only departments that you, you didn't have to be at least 21 to get on. And I love it, man. Love it ever since. Nice, man. Well, you've, you've had quite a career, man, there in uh, Madison, Wisconsin. And, uh, I mean, you're, you're talk, we are talking about it earlier, man. You and I are talking. You know, you're, you were just getting off the truck last night, man. I think... 
you know, honestly, bro, that's what I respect about you the most, man. You're still on a fire truck, so I mean, you know what it's like. You're not, you know, you're not one of the firefighters that you know spent you know six months on a fire truck and then you're the fire chief. You know what I mean? Up the ranks, and so you know that's I think uh, firefighters across the country respect. Um, you know, men and women that are actually, you know, working on the fire truck and they know what it's like to be on the front lines and actually fighting fire and even being in this COVID crisis. Um, yeah. I think, you know, I think that's as leaders, that's how you also stay connected. You know, when you're, when you're members, that's, we, we serve our members, right? I look at being a union president as serving my members. Uh, and as firefighters, we serve our communities. Um, but when you're doing both and when you're representing firefighters and you're also a firefighter, um, that's important. And, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with, you know, going on calls and I'm not just bargaining for my members, hours, wages, working conditions. Um, but I'm also part of those working conditions and I'm feeling the effects of everything that we bargain and, uh, COVID-19, obviously we're all dealing with uh, across the, the world, quite frankly. Um, so I can see firsthand and be part of firsthand actually as, as to what we're actually doing precautions we need to take. And I enjoy it. I, I'll be honest with you, man. I still love going to the firehouse. I do. Um, now, I'm 43 years old now, so, you know, seeing basement fires and everything, it's not as exciting as it was when it's, we were, like, 19 or 20. Um, but I, I still love going to work, man. I love being around the people. And that's what our job really is about. It's about the people that we work with and our brothers and sisters and members. And then it's also about the people that we serve. And I'm not just saying that, like, as a cliche. I really mean it. That's what I love about the job it's it's the, the men and women the brothers and sisters we get to stand next to day in and day out and then also serve in the community i mean i i still i think it's the best job in the world i, I do right. yeah i have to agree with you man and uh you know and in, in the in the fact that you're still the local president there in wisconsin you're the president of uh the professional firefighters of wisconsin and you know and plus you're you're on the rig man that's that shows a lot it's dedication man for sure. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I I, uh, I love being on the rig. Love it. And I, I, I love uh, love riding the engine. And I love we at my, my station, we have a double company, so we got an engine that I ride uh, enough, a lot. And then we have the ladder, which are like the firefighters' helpers. Are you on a ladder? No, I'm on a pumper engine. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, I saw I saw you guys' as Tiller man in the bay there in one of your videos, man. That was That's pretty sharp. Yeah, I'm we jealous. haven't had a tiller probably since like the late uh, '60s, and I could be getting that wrong. But um, you know, when I was young, I've always wanted to drive a tiller. Didn't you as a, as a young? Yeah, kid? me too. Yeah, I, in fact, I still do. <laughs> oh, do you? So, yeah, and I'm almost I'm almost ready to retire, but I just uh, just see how it is, man. See, see, I did it. So, have you actually driven one? Ma- you come to Madison, we'll let you drive a tiller. Nice, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll make my way down there, brother. So what's uh, what's COVID like down there, man? I mean, I just like I just got off shift myself, and we're going to constantly going to COVID calls and putting on our gowns and our goggles and masks and you know yeah. deconning and everything else, man. Is it the same kind of down there for you guys? A lot of COVID calls. Same thing, man. And it's 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 not necessarily the COVID calls. You know, we we know we have a COVID call. Obviously, you take all the precautions that we can um, to wear the proper PPE. But it's, it's the cause that you don't know. It's really like, and we, we work in a space where we're, it's the unknown, right? We right. all do as firefighters but and paramedics, but it's it's the cause that you don't know. So, like, if we're going to an extrication and cutting someone out of a car, if we're going to, you know, a fire, some of those precautions are, are out the window because we got a job to do. And we're trying to save lives, and we're in the business of saving lives. we got to do what we got to do. And we, 
you know, we do as much as we can to minimize the risk. But, I mean, our, our job is full of inherent risk. And uh, we know that's signing up. So it, it's the COVID calls are actually, I won't say they're easy, but we know what we have to do and what we're going into. And, and, and our dispatch do a great, does a great job of, of trying to, you know, give us as much information as we can on our way to the call to let us know if the person's uh, experiencing any flu-like symptoms or COVID-like symptoms. But uh, when we get there and we get, we got a job to do. So uh, we, we have to get after it. And uh, it, it, it's a little, I mean, I wouldn't say it's scary. It's just, we, it's just a different world we're living in. Right. Because right. we always are responding to emergencies, but this is just different. Right. And we're in a health and safety profession anyway. So we're always looking at, you know, a proper PPE and equipment we should be wearing. But really right now, man, it's like every call you're, you're second guessing some of the things you do as far as like wearing a mask and then you're taking off the mask, you're trying to talk to the patient and, you know, it's just, it's just a, another layer of responsibility, especially being an officer and, and being in charge of an engine company and making sure our brothers and sisters that you're uh, in charge of are safe. That's uh, another layer of responsibility that we all have to take. And it's, it's always in the back of your mind. Right. I guess, you know, my thing is just, you know, us being in the fire service and EMS, you know, just, uh, we don't realize where the public, you know, doesn't realize, you know, it's just, it's not only, you know, you know, some of the, you know, the younger uh, generation or the younger people in the public are, they're saying, well, if I get it, I'm not going to get that sick or I'll survive. But, you know, it, it's overwhelming the hospitals and the EMS system. That's, that's, or, you know, getting your parents sick or your grandparents or whatever, but overwhelming the hospitals is, is the thing that I don't think the public sees enough that they, 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 they don't realize how overwhelmed the hospital system are, you know, the doctors and nurses, you know, and so it just takes away those beds, you know, for critical, you know, other emergencies that are coming in, you know, like heart attacks or, you know, trauma or whatever the case may be. And so that's what I think, uh, you know, you know, hopefully we, here in, in New Mexico, we want to start doing some public service to so just letting them know how it's overwhelming the hospitals. Yeah. You might not be getting sick. You might not be worried about getting sick, but you're spreading it by being right. irresponsible and it's causing, you know, you know, to overload the healthcare system, you know, and these, you know, the doctors and nurses and even, you know, the EMS or fire, they're just, you know, they're starting to be overwhelmed. And that's, that's what the issue is in my opinion. Yeah, man. And you know, you hear some people talk about not wearing a mask and, and not wanting to wear a mask. Like nobody wants to wear a mask, right? I mean, who wants to walk around with a mask all day? Right. I, you know, it's getting so politicized that it's we're getting away from the science like, I, no one wants to wear a mask, but if, if the scientists and the doctors are telling us that makes us more safe, and more importantly, makes the people you interact with more safe, um, then we should just do it. And it, it, it's, it's getting to a level almost stupid that we're sitting still uh, in November talking about whether people are to wear a mask or not, right? Right. Um, so let's just put the mask on. Let's do everything we can to stop the spread of this this contagious, like, virus so that we can actually um move on with our lives and and, you know once they get the vaccine hopefully it works and and efficacy it's like we need to get to a place where we're all doing the same thing we're all on the same page so that then we can do the right thing get rid of this virus and then we can move on and get back to like a normal normal life like there's nobody that wasn't going to restaurants right now i mean traveling's down restaurants are closing you know, the, the stock market's doing okay, but that's only one barometer when it comes to actually people's lives and how people live. I mean, people are losing their jobs. And a lot of it is we can do some simple things, take some simple precautions, like wearing a mask, social distancing, you know, washing our hands, 
uh, not at the firehouse, not sitting right next to each other without a mask on, you know, spreading out a little bit right. um, as much as we can. Um, and the thing is, too, you know, another another thing that kind of worries me, and I'm sure worries all us as firefighters, is it's not, you know, it's what we may bring home. We always think about that, you know, wearing our clothes and, and we don't necessarily wear our clothes that we're on duty with home because you never know what you're bringing home. And I mean, we're stepping in blood, we're stepping all kind of stuff. But now we don't even know. You know, if we're bringing it home or not. Right. Absolutely. Because um, you don't know, we don't know for, you know, a number of days, depending, five or six days if we have it. And if, you know, if we have a known exposure, then we do know. But we never know that all the people we come in contact with in this job have no idea what we may be bringing home. And that's what worries, you know. Uh, I have a family, you have a family, that's what worries me the most. Yeah, me too. Absolutely, man. Yeah, you know, my parents or grandparents, man, that's what worries me. So yeah. uh, how are the member brothers and sisters there in Wisconsin holding up or Madison? We're doing good. I mean, probably just like the rest of the country, man. We're doing when it comes to the fire service, we're doing what we can. Um, still responding to emergencies and, and uh, doing the best we can. We're in the, following the precautions. And we, we've been, Wisconsin has been a hotbed, as you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's probably like the rest of the country kind of ebbs and flows, but we've been on a spike and uh, we got to get it right, man. We, we have split split government here, which is fine. We've always had um, divided government, um, but they need to get their their heads together and making sure that we get the proper PPE we have. Um, we're still working like everyone else in the country, making sure that you know tier one A that we're getting the vaccines that we need for first responders and healthcare workers. But we're doing we're doing good, man. We're doing doing just like everybody else, best we can with good, what man. we got. Well, shoot, man, that, that just, uh, you know, speaking about the brothers and sisters and taking care of them, man, shoot. Uh, how did you get involved in the union, man, and it's just really being uh, coming up the, climbing that ladder and being a, a good union leader at the top? Well, you know what, man? I never got in the union thinking I was going to be president of anything, in all honesty. I got in the union because I had an old, crusty uh, lieutenant. Um, I shouldn't call him crusty. He, he was angry because he was going through a divorce. but. Right. I had an old lieutenant man that was like, hey, you need to make sure um, you get in the union and be, get involved in the union and volunteer. And he's one of my best friends now. Um, but so I went to union meetings, quite frankly, at the beginning because he basically told me, like, that's part of my job. It's an extension of the workplace for me to get involved in the union because they give back so much. And I, once I got involved and I learned it was more than just about hours, wages, and working conditions. I actually started on the charitable side of the union. Uh, we started our charities here at, my, at our local firefighters, local 311 in 1998. And our vice president at the time, I just remember asking him, you know, how can I help? And he said, uh, well, you can meet me at the golf, the golf uh, outing that we're having for our local uh, next week. I said, okay, sir, I'll be there. So I'm, you know, I'm 20 years old at the time, probably. Um, He's got a lot of time on the job. He's our vice president, long-serving vice president. And he said, I got there. I thought I'd be stuffing bags or uh, door prizes or what have you. And he said, hey, he goes, we don't have anything for you to do, man. He goes, but if you want to help out, you can go and grab members' golf bags from their car and, and bring it to their carts, their golf carts. I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, if you want to help out, you can do that. So I'm thinking, like, okay, this must be something normally they do. And – uh so I went and like members were looking at me like I was crazy. Like one, who are you? And two, you know, I was like 150 pounds back then, but he's like, who are you? Like, why are you grabbing my bag? I'm like, I'm just taking your bag to your car. So just trying to help out, you know, volunteer, just got new on a job. It was a great way to meet people too. Uh, get involved in the union. But I did that for like an hour and a half, two hours. 
And that's how I really got my start. That's, that's no BS, man. I started like carrying golf bags yeah. for other members to their carts. And then I got involved in our charities. Our charities had just started a year um, after I got on the job. And I got involved in that, became our chief financial officer of our local 311 charities. Got involved in a political side by uh, helping to run our governmental affairs at the local level. Got on the executive board eventually um, and helped with the executive board. And then I was in charge of our biggest station with the most people at it as a steward or as an executive board member. Then I got on the state board. Uh, as an executive board member in 2009. And, but all up to that point, I was also our burn camp director. We have a, a statewide burn camp that we have uh, here in Wisconsin. A lot of states have it where we bring in youth from seven to 17 that have been burned by fire, been abused. Uh, and I was a director for, I was there a total of 10 years, four years as a uh, counselor and six years as a director. Um, so that's how I got involved in a union, man. And, and, uh, I did most volunteer work. I didn't get paid a dollar for many years in the union at all. And it wasn't about money, right? Um, but that's how I got involved. And then I began on the board in 2009. And the rest is really history, brother, because uh, I got on the board in 2009 and I became state president in 2011, like uh, three, three days before Scott Walker took office. And the rest is history. Scott Walker had a plan and, and we had to stand up and, and figure out what we were going to do. Yeah, and that and a lot of people saw that on TV and how we stood up, but that the rest is history. Yeah, I gotta now be honest. I'm here, now I'm here talking with you today. Yeah, man, it's great. I mean, I gotta be honest, man. Back in when Scott Walker and you had the Act Ten, you know, and all that, you know, and I was I was here cheering you guys on, man. I did. You guys, I mean, not only did the International Association of Firefighters kick ass, I mean, the the whole union in in Wisconsin in general, man. Talking about union strong and coming together and making it happen. And that's, that's huge. And, you know, and, and the fact that, you know, you're just a couple of days in office and you accomplished what you accomplished during that time is that that's huge. You guys fought back and you guys, you know, were successful, you know, and I always tell that story, man, that you guys, you know, you know, basically it looks like Scott Walker wanted to try to divide and conquer, you know, you know, and by letting, you know, the police officers and the firefighters off the hook on, you know, and, and uh, you know, just putting restrictions on, on putting restrictions on every other union there, but still yeah. the international or firefighters and you know IFF and police officers still, you know, went to the rallies. They still stood up and, and fought. I mean, that's that's honorable, man, and great job. And how how did that work out? How did you guys come up with a plan and execute it and make it happen? Well, look, man, I bet it looked like we had a plan on TV. And if you're watching some of the MSNBC or CNN coverage, um, but you know how it all started. It, 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 we didn't have a plan initially. And I'll tell you why. Because no one, for the most part, knew it was coming. We were told when Scott Walker ran for office, he was talking about making some reforms to unions, right? And he always had a problem. He was a Milwaukee County exec, which is the largest county in Wisconsin uh, by way of population. And he always had a problem with uh, AFSCME and some other um, unions that he was um, having to bargain with. And he had animosity towards him once he became governor. But when he ran for office, he only talked about small reforms that need to be tweaked or made at the state level and with the unions, public sector unions, and some reforms that need to be made to have cost savings. So if you ever hear that, beware of that. Um, but what he did was nowhere near as small as we all know. 
And when he began in office, we all thought that the reforms were going to be just some minor like arbitration changes or mediation changes, giving a little more credence and power to the employer and municipality uh, back at home or the state when it comes to bargaining. What he did, he came in and in his words, he was telling his one of his biggest donors here in Wisconsin that I'm going to divide and conquer working people. More importantly, I was going to divide and conquer, he said, the unions. He said, I'm going to come after public sector first. I'm going to leave police and fire exempt. That'll make them have infighting and argue. Then I'm going to come after the right to work. And we're going to divide and conquer. Like he used those words. He said, I'm going to divide and conquer. And that's exactly what he did. Um, so we had a choice to make. I mean, again, in his words, he dropped a bomb on us. Like that morning, and I was at the press conference. And I'll never forget standing next to brothers and sister leaders uh, in the unions and us not knowing what was coming on, out. Even the memo they handed out when we sent at a press conference um, didn't explain everything that was happening. And I remember we were going to go stand um, next to them because they asked us to. And we didn't know. We didn't ask for an exemption. We didn't know what we were going to be exempt from. We really did. But when they dropped that bomb, we still, even at the press conference, didn't quite know what was happening until we got the, the bill um, hours later, it was called a, uh, uh, a budget repair bill. So it wasn't actually a budget. It was called a budget repair bill. And he had a Republican assembly and a Republican Senate. Um, so it was not much we could do um, to get to not get it passed. So if you remember, the 14 Democratic senators left town. They left the state to give us more time to figure it out because they didn't have a quorum to be, be able to pass a bill in the Senate. Um, so that during that time, that's when the protests, the rallies. But Governor Walker did not want us to be part of any of the rallies, be part of any of the protests. And we not only stood up, but we stood out. And we led the rallies with our marches, um, with our flags, our bagpipers, our speeches, as well as our support. Um, because we realized that we were going to be next. And nowadays they call it solidarity. Um, back then we were just calling it the right thing to do. Right. And that's what we do as firefighters, man. We stand up for people, and they were hurting. We were responding to emergency in this case. This, this time it was on the labor side of things. Um, so I'm glad we did what we did. It was not just me. Um, I was giving a lot of speeches, but we made that decision as a team. And, and, and thank God our members uh, were there with us every step of the way. And I look back on that as far as standing up with working people in the House of Labor. I have no regrets. Right. We do it all over again. Well, so I'll tell you what, man, like um, when when all that was going on, I, I was proud to be a firefighter, proud to be a union firefighter at that. You know, I just right. it, uh, I just, you know, I seen what 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 could happen when we're, we we stand together and we're stronger in numbers. And uh, I mean, you know, you guys did a great job down there in Wisconsin, man. And that's a, it's an example for the rest of the United States that, you know, they're out there to get, you know, the union sometimes, man. But uh that was great. I mean, leading into that. So did you get so frustrated with it? You just say, you know, I'm going to run for governor and, and go. <laughs> I mean, well, you're... I, actually, I actually originally ran for a lieutenant governor in 2012. It was a recall election. Right. They had to get a certain amount of uh, names, signatures on, on a, uh, a petition for a recall. And they got, they got, it was over a million, quite frankly, what they needed. And uh, they got it. And I was asked by some to look at, you know, running for our lieutenant governor, um, and I did. And uh, we, we 
came some we came somewhat close. I mean, with four or five percentage points, I think. But um, a lot of people didn't feel like it was a need. There was a need to recall a sitting governor or elected official over a legislative issue. Right. Um, that's something that's not malfeasance or anything. In Ohio, and and you know, it's how it works. It's a domino effect because it happened first in Wisconsin, then John Kasich did in Ohio, then they're trying to do it in, in Michigan. And we don't have the referendum like they have in Ohio where they, they had SB5 and they were able to actually uh, repeal the law because the referendum uh, that they passed. Right. Um, but we don't have that. So we that's why the recall happened. Oh, okay. But I ran, man. It was, uh, it was interesting. It wasn't like a normal campaign because it was just a short time. You have a certain amount of time to get the signatures and a certain amount of time uh, to hold an election. Uh, so it was like a sprint. Um, to the finish line. Came a little bit short, man, but you got to fight. You got to keep fighting. And right. So you, and you the, actually. The IFF, the IFF was there every step of the way. Um, we've taken some L's here in Wisconsin, actually, man. But uh, we get up and dust ourselves off, and the IFF's there for us by way of programs, services, boots on the ground, um, and everything else. Yeah, they came after you hard, man. That uh, You know, I, I also remember that, too. And they, you know, for. For, uh, you know, just the, for, you know, after the Scott Walker days, you know, and, and you coming in and, and being, you know, three, four points away from winning. I mean, that's that's huge. That's a huge accomplishment. I mean, it's 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 a good thing. It just shows that, you know, how uh, firefighters and IFF come in and we're in solidarity and we, what we can make happen when we uh, when we all stand together in numbers, like I said. So solidarity is important. That's um, a great thing. And you got to you, you can't just do it when it's convenient. And you can't just do it when it's when it's uh, it's it's easy to do. I mean, that's the decision we made. It wasn't just my decision because um, I represent the members. So the members have to decide if that's what we're going to do and if we're going to stand out. And uh, our members were on board. Matter of fact, I had more members calling me before we actually made a decision, saying, "Hey, what what the hell are we going to do? Like, this is wrong. We need to be there. We need to be at the rallies. Be at the protests." And uh, we were. And our members were there every, I mean, we protested every day, man, for like initially like probably a month and a half every day. I see. And it was cold as hell outside some of those days. Right. Well, I mean, even, uh, even where you guys have your, your legislature, you know, I, you, you guys are filling up that place and it was, it was awesome. It was, it was, like I said, you know, it, uh, it was definitely a, a good time to be a proud union member, firefighter at that for sure. Yeah. Yes, sir. And you know, and then uh, shoot now, man, you're you're doing a great job. You're running for general president of the International Association of Firefighters, and shoot, man, you hit the ground running with that. Doing great on your campaign. Um, you're reaching a lot of members out there, hearing a lot of good things about you. Uh, and just shoot, I mean, tell me about that. What what do you think? I think it's uh, it's another sprint. That's what I think, but. Uh... Yeah, we have a, I mean, our, our international is strong. It's it's bold, you know, 323,000 of the best uh, men and women on earth, in my opinion. Um, we're 123,000 organized and, and grew in just the 21st century. So we, um, we have a strong union, a bold union. Um, it's our union. It's the union that we currently own. Without the members, a union is nothing. Without the members, a union head or a union official or a union leader or principal officer is nothing. Um, we lead the way in so many things, you know, when it comes to cancer presumption, uh, when it comes to cancer research, 
But when it comes to our disaster relief, you see on TV that that's our members uh, being dispatched to help uh, our members that are out there on the front lines during a disaster. Well, who's taking care of their homes and who's taking care of their families? Well, the IFF is. And that's what a union does. And that's what our union does. And, you know, looking at municipal financial analysis, GIS mapping, I know I'm getting in the weeds here, but there's a JOGA Act taking care of our brothers and sisters uh, that were there at 9-11. Um, we got a union man that's strong that, that does a lot of great things for us. And uh, we are the ones that can make our union bigger, better, and stronger. And we have a decision to make. If we want to be divided and be split like the rest of the country is right now, unfortunately, or if we want to band together and unite this IFF and look towards the future, we have so many challenges ahead of us. You look at COVID-19, um, civil unrest all across the country. You get brothers and sisters in fire dying of cancer and crazy rates every year. Uh, brothers and sisters looking at taking their own lives because of what we see over the cumulative effect and what gives us PTSI and PTSD. We have all these challenges ahead of us, and we can only tackle these challenges uh, together. And we can only actually seize upon the opportunities together. We need more accountability. We need more transparency, and every organization does, I believe, and some things that we can change. Um, but uh, we change those things together. We don't change them in the New York Times. We don't change them in the Washington Post. We don't change them with all these, these damn blogs. We change them together as a team. And I ask the question, actually, all the time, what we ask here in Wisconsin, what kind of union would we be? Like, what kind of union would we be if every decision we made was member-oriented, if every decision we made as leaders at whatever level, local, state, provincial, and even at the top of the IFF, if every decision we made and we thought about was member-oriented, what kind of union would we be? And we would be, and we are, the baddest union on the planet, in my opinion. And we need to make sure we tackle our challenges and look at our strengths, our weaknesses, our opportunities, our threats, and seize those opportunities for the future. And this, is, to me, is the most important election of our lifetime. I'm told we have not had a general president contested election uh, since 1988. So this union is not going to just shape this election, I'm sorry, it's not going to just shape the very near future, but it's going to shape decades and decades of where this union is going to be. We've been around since 1918. And uh, hopefully we're going to be around another 100-plus years. Um, but that's up to us to make it better. And that's why I'm running. And those are the things I'm talking about. Those are the things I mean. Uh, when I, in 2011, we were talking about 2011. One thing that we didn't talk about, and I don't mind talking about now, is that, yeah, we had Governor Walker um, splitting and dividing and conquering and trying to divide and split uh, working people. But what a lot of people didn't know is we had a state association that was at a crossroads. Um, we had some locals, seven, eight locals, that actually wanted to pull out a state association at the time because there was so much infighting at the top. And it's quite frankly, that's part of the reason how I became president. There was so much infighting at the top. Um, things were being written about the state association in a newspaper. People that didn't even know who the professional firefighters of Wisconsin were um, knew now because of the bad press we were getting. And that makes it hard for a local president. It makes it hard for a firefighter back home um, to always be talking about allegations. And then what makes it even, even tougher is that there's not a lot getting done at the top when there's just all this infighting, right? It's just not. 
Um, so I had to come in and work with our team of elected representatives and brothers and sisters or board members and get this thing back on the right track. And we did it together. Uh, it wasn't just me. Again, I was fortunate enough to lead this great team that was elected by our membership into the future. And, I, and you know, we're not perfect. I'm definitely not perfect. But we now have every IAFF affiliate in the state of Wisconsin, actually in the professional firefighters of Wisconsin, which we didn't have. Uh, we had the city of Milwaukee, for instance, Local 215. It's our biggest local in the state, 900-plus members. Um, and they were out for 26 years prior to 2011 or anything. Um, and they're in now. And we were able to work that together. And we worked great together. We don't always agree on everything, but we don't agree with anybody on everything. Um, and we were able to do a lot of things for smaller locals in our state because um, the majority of our locals in our state are smaller locals. And we were able to bring it together, mesh it together, and we did it just asking that one question. That's the start of it. What kind of union will we be if we made every decision was member-oriented decisions? And we're thriving now, brother. We don't always get it right, but we try like hell. Right. That's how that's how you make it happen, you know. And you know, you know, like what I like to say too, which is true um, to my locals or you know here in the state of New Mexico, is you know what we can't forget. You know that if if the brothers and sisters weren't on those trucks running calls every day, you know I wouldn't be in my position. You wouldn't be in your position. You know, and as long as we don't forget about that, you know. It, it's a good thing, you know, we, we, we remember where we come from and, you know, they're the ones who are, you know, who are paying their union dues and yeah. they're the ones who are out there trying to, you know, the way I look at it and, you know, I like, I like the way you think, man, you know, we, you know, we work for our members. They don't, I mean, you know, they don't work for us, you know, right. and that's a great thing. And, you know, I was looking at your, at your fresh start plan, you know, your first 30 days in office and tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, man. The first start plan is essentially us having a clean slate and having a fresh look at things. And uh, it's called a fresh start because it would be a different way of looking at our union. And, and it's essentially a way of looking and being a servant leader. And I actually don't like that word servant leadership necessarily all the time because I think it gets used too often. But it's essentially us reimagining our union, looking at our union in a different way and having member oriented discussions around our union and where we are today, and where we need to be. So it's literally coming together and doing a retreat, something so simple, but also complex, a retreat of all our district vice presidents, which we have 16, as you know, and they're all elected by our members. So we need to give more authority, in my opinion, back to the executive board. And that by way of doing that, we're giving more authority and more influence to our members because they elect those district vice presidents. Um, so the fresh start plan is all of us getting together as well as top staff at the IFF and looking at what we need to do, looking at accountability, transparency, and some of the things that we need to change. And quite fr frankly, um, it is looking at um, our pension review. The pension right now has always been a point of contention and concern for last, uh, for a while now in the IFF, having a comprehensive audit of not just the pension, but also uh, the books, and releasing those records and releasing those findings to our members and to be our district, district vice presidents, our state, provincial, and local officers, um, and letting them know and get a true accounting of where we are financially because it's their money. It's not our money. It's their money. And I pay the same dues like everyone else, no matter who you are. Um, so um, it's giving them a proper accounting of where we are financially. Um, it's reviewing all the contracts, every contract that the IFF is currently in. 
I would review those with the district vice presidents and those that don't have any benefit to our membership would be exhausted. Um, it's talking to top level staff as well as the assistant to the general president, seeing things that we can streamline. They do a great job at the IFF uh, by way of the folks that work there and, and the brothers and sisters that, that got off the rigs and went out to DC and those that are um, civilians that are working out there to do great work uh, as a local and state officer. By way of programs and services from the IFF, I get what I need. Um, but there are some things we can streamline, and there's always things that any organization, us here in Wisconsin, can continuously improve. Um, and I want to look at that. Let's take a serious look at that. Turn our associations upside down and look at it. Look at our strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, and constraints, and look at our union and reimagine it differently. And not saying that we're going to change everything, but the things that are working, we will enhance. Things that aren't going so well, we will get rid of um, I look at the endorsement process. That's something that we talk a lot about here in Wisconsin. There's no way for us to, when I talk about endorsement, I'm talking about endorsing for the president of the United States. Um, there's no way um, that we can interview all 323,000 members. Um, but what we can do is have a, uh, a baseline poll that all our members can use for all top level uh, positions, the top number one position in, in U.S. and Canada. And we can have a, a poll that our members see, they can look at and via the district vice presidents, they can be a part of if they want. And those findings will come back um, to the international executive board and we'll have more of a, um, more information to go from before we make an endorsement. Um, so I, I would be all for that. And it's going to take a little bit longer, but what we get is a better result. And uh, I'm with Joe Biden, man, just being honest, being just being 100% transparent and honest. Joe Biden, uh, without him, we wouldn't have things like the public safety officer benefit and other things. And I think he's got to be a president that we can um, utilize and that we can talk to as a firefighters union. And he'll be sympathetic, I know he will be, uh, to our needs and, and to things that our members need by way of health and safety um, and staffing and hours, wages, where all the things that we lobby for. Um, our health insurance, things at, at, at Capitol Hill. Um, but again, we need to look at endorsement process to make sure it's transparent and it's fair. Um, so those are some of the things that I would look at changing. Um, some of the things that we would do within the first 30 days. The Fresh Start Plan is getting to work right away, hitting the ground running, working with the talented members of the executive board um, to get things done. And again, for the members. Right. Now that that sounds great, you know, uh, you know, being in this times of rioting and unrest across the United States, um, shoot, what, you know, what about diversity in the fire service? Or I mean, let's talk about diversity in the international. I mean, what's what's your plan? I mean, now in these trying times, I mean, we we know that's where you know the United States or in Canada is, is taking us. Yeah. Well, you know, you know, there's diversity in the international. What we need is diversity. Um, we need leadership to, um, as much as we can, to reflect the communities that we serve. Um, because now, you know, at the international, I mean, in our entire union, and I'm talking about unions, all unions, but obviously we're focused on the IFF today. Um, but when your leadership reflects the communities that we serve and reflects first of all, the membership that we serve as leaders. And then when leadership reflects the communities that we serve as firefighters and first responders on the front lines, 
that one is the right thing. Two, it only helps our cause because now we're building a bigger tent of, of, of brothers and sisters that understand what the union provides. The days of, you know, just going and saying to a new member, and I still speak to our academy still here in Madison every time we have one, normally once or twice a year. And the days of just telling that union member, like, here, here's what we do for you. Almost like you're welcome that we're working your behalf um, and saying, get to a union meeting. Um, those days are over. Like we have to go out and actively seek out uh, members and actually seek out young people, actually seek out diversity within their fire service and within our union, in my opinion, so that we have a, a better reflection in leadership. And we need to have succession planning and bring people up um, the ranks so that we have a good reflection. So then it only builds us a bigger tent. So now as union leaders, when we have to go and petition our mayors or common councils or our county execs or our governors, we have a reflection of our community at that meeting, right? We have people that look like our community saying, no, you can't do this. And then we bring our community with us. And once our community sees that, then they won't be saying like, you can't close that fire station. Civilians will be screaming, you can't close my fire station. You can't brown out my rig. You can't shut down that ambulance or my ambulance. All those things, one, it's the right thing to do. Second, it only enhances what we do as local and state and provincial officers when we have a diverse, diversity in our leadership. Because then they can't, they can't attack us and say that oh, we're only speaking for a certain segment, even though we know as a union we speak for everybody. But they can't say, well, what are your other members think? Or what does that group think? And they try to divide us. They try to splinter us. And this whole thing is about divide and conquer, and it works, unfortunately. That's why we're seeing so much civil unrest within this country, because divide and conquer works. They create an enemy. But when we have a big tent and a big pool of brothers and sisters and members that look like and reflect our community, there's nothing we can't accomplish, man. There's nothing. Yeah, absolutely right. Absolutely right, man. So, I mean, what about, uh, you know, transparency with the international? What's your plan? I mean, uh, you know, I, I just hear a lot of members, you know, ask about that. And, you know, that's that's the that's the thing, you know, being transparent. What's the what's the plan to to make that happen at the top? Um, well, if you if you look at my website, if you go to Mitchell for shameless plug. Um <laughs> But if you go to my website, um, I t we talk about transparency. And the Fresh Start Plan, um, one of the, the, the provisions of that is to be more transparent, um, to have truth in, in, in our accounting principles, um, to look at the pension systems, which have been somewhat of a bone of contention, um, and to look at everything that we do and being transparent in our approach. Um, getting more members involved takes longer. Getting more people at the table takes longer. But the end, you yield a better result, in my opinion. So when we talk about transparency, that's like a buzzword. People like to just say it. But what really is transparency? Well, I'll tell you. First thing I did here in Wisconsin, you know, a lot of people like to talk about what they'll do. And it's easy for uh, people that want to be elected officials or even folks that are running for these type of positions to overpromise and underperform. Um, but what I will do is that um, retreat, will have a strategic plan that will come out of it. That strategic plan will be about, it will be about um, being transparent. 
It will be about where our union is. And we're going to do that as an executive board first. And then take those findings and then present those to our membership. Um, at an alts or at an educational conference, or we call a special meeting for whoever wants to be a part of it. Um, any one of our members that want to be a part of it, um, obviously via their local officer, can come and be a part of that strategic plan where we do the SWAT C analysis and look at everything, turn it upside down and reimagine it. And that's, gonna be, that's where the transparency comes in place because we're going to look at our union in a real way. And not only the district vice presidents and executive board are going to be a part of it, but our members, and I'm talking about every member, can be a part of this process. And that's going to take a long time. It's going to take a while. Um, but I would like to do that every five years and re-up it. That's what we do here in Wisconsin. And I understand we're a small microcosm of the greater IFF. I get that. Um, but that's how I believe you are transparent, by letting and opening up the floodgates, so to speak, for our members to see everything. And we talk about everything. And we look at our strengths and our weaknesses. And we look at it in a real way. And our members have a say in it. We derive a strategic plan from that and move forward. Because we don't all have to know, you know, how to get somewhere. But we need to know where the hell we're going. And that's what a leader does. We don't need a savior right now. Um, There's nothing to be saved in the IFF. We need a leader to lead the IFF into the future and beyond. Great. So, I mean, what uh, just talking about, you know, leadership – and having a leader, what, uh, what's, what's your main goals and objectives uh, in the IFF? I mean, if, if you're to win an election. Well, you know what? By way of priorities or a platform, you're saying goals and objectives, I believe that every IFF member should have the ability to collectively bargain. Um, right now, it's almost like we live in two IFFs. It's those that can collectively bargain and those that can't. And, uh, and I'll tell you that um, – IFF has done a lot of put a lot of time, committed a lot of resources, and a lot of great efforts um, to try to get a national collective bargaining bill for public safety officers for us passed. Um, we need to recommit, and I will recommit to that those efforts and make sure that we work on both sides of the aisle uh, to get that done. We can get it done, um, but we got to get it done together. Um, man, I am uh, sick and tired, and it's sad to hear when our, one of our brothers and sisters takes his own life because of the effects of this job. Both of them are bad. Line of duty deaths and our brothers and sisters committed suicide. We're losing more firefighters right now, as you know, from taking their own lives than we are actually doing our job and fighting fires. Uh, that's a problem. And that's, it's, that's, that's sad. And the IFF has done a lot of great work by way of peer support teams, um, by way of the Center of Excellence on the East Coast. Um, I will continue those efforts and make sure that we have one in California, also that we have the one up in Canada, so that we get to our members before it is too late. In Wisconsin alone, we're only 4,000 members. We've had six or seven of our members actually go uh, to the Center of Excellence. When they come back, every one of them says the same thing, save their life save their life. Um, I will continue those efforts and take it a step further and look at PTSD and PTSI legislation requiring that states, provinces, and municipalities actually have to pay for the mental health treatment that our brothers and sisters need, again, before it is too late. Um, When it comes to cancer, again, losing too many members to cancer. Um, I would have stacked me like we did with NFPA 1710 in Anaheim, California. The IFF went to Anaheim 
say, here are consensus standards where they need to be. When it comes to how many firefighters we need on a rig, three, four, five, or six, low, medium, to high hazards, and our response times. And what does it take for us to be safe so that we can in turn make our community safe? Um, so we need to make sure when it comes to time to task analysis, and there's a lot of work being done on this right now. I don't want to act like there's not. But again, I will re- reaffirm and recommit those efforts. So when we talk about our the toxins permeating through our gear and equipment we use, how long should we be in a, a structure fire? Um, how, and you look at PFAS and, and the chemicals and the compounds that are actually in um, um, the foam that we use, all the things and federal firefighter issues, all the things that we talk about. We need to um, have the tenacity in, in the same um, and just be really angry, in my opinion, about our members um, losing their lives over things that really are a byproduct of our job. Um, and, and I just, and I, I, I have a true passion for that. Um, I also look at, you know, things like health insurance. Um, you know, we don't have, not every, not every retired firefighter has retiree health insurance. And we retire early because of, we work in dangerous and, and, and crazy environments that take a toll on our physical and mental health. So we need to have a bill, and there is one right now in the Senate and Congress. Um, that essentially allows public safety officers to buy into Medicare at age 55. Uh, we need that. Number one issue a lot of times when our members retire is not the vacations they're going to take, not if they can get along with their spouse or not. It's like, how the hell am I going to pay for health insurance? How can I pay that COBRA amount? Or how can I pay that 1700 bucks a month for my family? I mean, our pensions only go so far. And as you know, 75% of us in the country don't pay into Social Security. Um, so we, we need uh, not just retirement security, but, you know, health care security. And that bill would go a long way to provide that. And last but not least, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of attacks. Even before COVID-19, there were municipalities uh, screaming bloody murder, saying they have no money. And, again, they're going to create an enemy. And a real easy target a lot of times is public safety because we do normally cost a good chunk of money and any – municipalities capital or operational budget um so they're going to say you know we we could pay for this these essential services if we didn't have to pay those firefighters that health care we could pay for this uh building or this public market or we could pay fulfill our obligations if we didn't have to pay for the firefighters pensions so they create an enemy so as as the iff we need to take the first punch and when i say the first punch by way of us having the resources and materials and the messaging for officers to use before it gets to gets to them. So let's get ahead of the problem as opposed to waiting and being retroactive. So that's where those are some things that I believe that we need to actually fight like hell to make sure that our members are made whole. Right. And that was a long answer to your <laughs> short question. I apologize, but no, it's, I, get, it's a, I get fired up sometimes. It's a much easier answer, man. That's good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good to see you fired up, man. We need, we need people who are fired up to, to lead our international man. So, um, indeed. what's that brother I said indeed indeed yep. you know so you know here at you know firefighter kingdom this podcast uh she, we have she we're fortunate to have a you know my co-host and producer uh, vince trujillo and we kind of do a community segment you know uh and sometimes you know the community out there doesn't you know we the, they don't know the lingo that we use and the way we talk and sometimes and so they have questions and he has a lot of good questions just coming from just like the general public and 
uh, bringing Vince on. So what are you up to, Vince? How are you doing, brother? All right. So thanks uh, for joining us today, Malin. You know, listening to you talk, I, I, I don't have any other questions from the community side. It sounds like you have a really strong case that you're making uh, for the general uh, president position. And uh, it was so informative to hear about your background, what you have going on, and where you, 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 your vision for where you'd like to see uh, the IAFF going forward. So just I commend you on your background and uh, all the topics you covered. It was re- really great and informative for me. So the, the only thing from the community perspective, because we've been going a while, and I think you covered everything perfectly for your case. You said you went, you almost went, you did actually go to culinary school. I did. After, after all of that we just heard about you and the, with what you, direction for the general, uh, general president, IFF and everything, do you still cook? <laughs> do you still cook? And do you have a favorite dish that you can whip up and people could say, all right, so if I vote for Malin Mitchell going forward and, uh, you know, if a general president and I got his background and everything, what would be the dish that kind of encompasses what you want to put forward? Well, I can tell you my, my favorite dish to cook, and I believe I'm, I make the best ribs um, in Wisconsin. <laughs> Maybe that's not saying a lot because we're not known for our ribs. But I make I make a I make a hell of a rack of ribs, man. I really do. I really do. And uh, but I don't I actually don't cook a lot. I actually, you know, you know what's weird is I, I actually don't like cooking really that much. So it makes funny. no sense because I went to culinary school. But yeah. you know, when you're young, you don't know. You're trying to figure it out. So <laughs> I want to own a restaurant. I still want to own a restaurant, though. But still, that's my yeah, lifelong yeah. dream to own a restaurant. I'm like a little small like corner restaurant that I can like you know, kind of sit on the end of the bar and try to tell some stories and make up some stories too. And then, you know, have some regulars, kind of like a cheers, but smaller. For firefighters, uh, everybody? For everybody. But I wanted to be an old firehouse. I wanted to be an old renovated firehouse um, that, you know, it's one of the old school ones that has just two front bay doors, the sleeping area at the top, old brick building, um, and just re- renovate that and uh, have just a smaller bar where that essentially is the apparatus bay upstairs maybe have some dining seating um, but just an old school um quaint firehouse restaurant called engine four. Oh, i love it that's a great that was that's a great uh, kind of out, out uh, outro for us man we got to learn a lot about you your direction you're going and from the community perspective i know that someday i can hope to go up to wisconsin somewhere is that where you want to, the restaurant yeah, I'm going to open right here in Madison, hopefully. Oh, yeah, so in Madison. I got a buddy uh, that lived in Madison for a while. He still has family over there. He's in Colorado now. But if uh, we ever make it up here in the next whatever long it takes you to get a restaurant up, I'll be happy to go and try some ribs over there. <laughs> yeah, that'll be, that'll be especially. But, I, again, I won't be the one cooking. There you go. Well, we, we'll be the, You'll be the connoisseur who gets good ribs in there, though. Right, right. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give my recipe and then they can, you know, they can use it. It's secret. I will yeah. trust that in that then. So, hey, thanks for having you. Uh, it's great been having you on the show. Thanks for showing up. And uh, it was great learning about you. I'm going to turn it over to Robert now and uh, we'll start signing out. Appreciate you. All right. Thank you, guys. All right, President Mitchell. Thanks, man. So I guess you're going to have to have employ your wife, man, to start cooking your restaurant there. <laughs> no, she ain't gonna cook in there. <laughs> she gonna cook. I think she's gonna be retired too. Uh, no, I wanna. That's what I would love to do when I retire, man. I think that'd be the coolest thing. Only yeah. problem is, you know, restaurants are tough to keep open, and yeah. especially nowadays, obviously. But it's a lot of hard work too. I think, I think it's like sixty percent of restaurants fail. Sixty percent in the first year. So yeah, I don't want to spend all my retirement 
and earn our money on a failing restaurant. So <laughs> I would make sure it passes, man, or I'll, or I'll be living in that restaurant. Yeah, that's for sure, man. Yeah, I mean, so, hey, brother, I, I appreciate you being on uh, Firefighter Kingdom, and uh, I wish you uh, luck and success to, you know, for your 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 run for general president of the IFF. And uh, don't forget to, you know, for all the viewers out there, don't forget to listen to us. Um, yeah, listen to us on uh, Apple. We're on uh, iTunes podcast. We're also on uh, Spotify, Google Play. You can find us on Stitcher as well. And also don't forget to go to our website, firefighterkingdom.com. We're going to actually have some really cool swag coming up these uh, holiday seasons. And we're actually going to be selling some coffee mail. And we got some really good Firefighter Kingdom coffee. It's one of our really? special first responder blend that's coming out. We got our first 150 bags coming out here in the next couple of weeks. So we'll send you a bag um you, you can let, let us know what you think but uh 10 of proceeds are also going to be going uh, on some of our future sales of uh the firefighter uh, kingdom blend coffee to a uh, local foundation here so uh look out for that firefighterkingdom.com also visit our facebook page firefighter kingdom well thanks yeah, again send me a bag and i'll, I'll and send me a bill I want to pay since it's going to a good cause. Yeah, yeah, we have it. Uh, we'll go to Firefighter Foundation uh, here in New Mexico. Just you know, of course, helping firefighters and their families. You know, when they have those tough times. Um, but man, it was it was a good time talking to you and and uh, good luck in the future. And uh, I appreciate it, man. So signing right. off. Good, yeah, brother. You, you guys stay safe out there, and uh, thanks for having me on. It was fun. Cool. Thank you. You're always welcome, man. Here in the Firefighter Kingdom. So signing off, signing off from the Firefighter Kingdom, myself, your host, Robert Sanchez, and your co-host, producer, Vince Trujillo. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.